This is the On the Touchline podcast. We're your hosts, Jason Broadwater and Aaron Rogers. Welcome to the show. Well, hey guys, welcome back to the On the Touchline podcast. In today's episode, we talk to John Lipsitz. And if you've been following John on social media, um, John has done a number of things here in the States, uh, from coaching youth soccer to coaching at the collegiate level, growing up in Chapel Hill, North Carolina, and be, being around, um, you know, as a, as a young person, the UNC women's uh, soccer team and learning. And, uh, you know, now his career has taken him to California. And Aaron, uh, you had the uh, fortunate experience to work with John and be a part of his staff at the University of Kentucky. Yeah, absolutely. I'm I'm excited to to get to have a chat with him. And you know, John's a, a tremendous teacher um, in general. He and that really flows over into and translates really well into being a coach. Um, and I think I think we're gonna get a lot of great ideas. I, uh, thoughts, tidbits um, from John because he he's been around, as you said, at all different levels of the game and uh, has a really good connection um, throughout the country, uh, as well as a great connection with the game of soccer. Yeah, we know that uh, you know these are um, uncertain and unprecedented time, unprecedented times for us as a society, and um, just how much all of us miss being out on the pitch and how much all of us miss uh, being around the game of football. And we hope that by listening to this podcast and uh, subscribing to the show, that we bring at least a a little bit of joy um, to you each week as we, uh, you know, work through this uncertain time uh, as a culture and uh, as a world um, right now. So please be sure to subscribe to the podcast on your favorite podcasting platform. And if that happens to be Apple Podcast, be sure to leave us a five-star rating and a brief review uh, about the show. That helps more and more people in the footballing and soccer world learn about the On the Touchline podcast and uh, helps grow our listenership each week. Uh, Aaron, if people want to connect with you on social media, how can they do that? Uh, Twitter and Instagram at Ohio Soccer Coach. And uh, Aaron's always up for a good challenge, so be sure to tag him. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, You can find me at uh, SoccerCoachJB and uh, both on Twitter and Instagram. Guys, I think you're going to really enjoy this conversation with John Lipsitz. Well, John, uh, thank you for coming on the show. And Aaron had mentioned that, um, you know, uh, was interested in, in having you as a guest. And I thought that was a, a fantastic idea. So uh, if people, you know, have heard your name and, um, you know, might know a little bit about you, uh, I think it's important for, you know, we always like uh, guests to tell a little bit about their backstory and uh, how they got to where they are, um, you know, in their <laughs> footballing journey. <laughs> so uh, yeah. tell us a little bit about you. Uh, mine has been a wandering journey, I'd say. I mean, I didn't expect this. I didn't plan for this. So 
I um, was a business student undergrad, grew up in Chapel, North Carolina. So, of course, I loved women's soccer, you know, because that's uh, growing up watching Anson and all those mm-hmm. players, a lot of them on the 99ers and stuff like that. And, um, and and just playing. And then I went into business and was a marketing director. But I just always felt this tug at me to continue to coach. Because even in, in college, I was coaching youth soccer teams. I really enjoyed it. Went back to my high school, coached there, things like that. Um, and eventually what happened was uh, I was fortunate with a, a really good friend to start a soccer club that be- in Columbus, Ohio, that became Ohio Premier, which is now a big ECNL club. Mm-hmm. And just a lot of fortunate things happen. I, we became the first Nike uh, grassroots club in the country. And then I went back to school for um, secondary school education and was a special ed teacher and then a social studies teacher in a high school and running a soccer club and really happy. Uh, didn't expect anything else. And then um, I got asked to be the assistant coach at Ohio State and one thing led to another. And I went from there to Charlotte to Kentucky. And, um, uh, you know, when you can't really you sort of have to choose. I mean, you can be a, a college coach and work in club and help out. But I think the idea of being out on the field every single day and all weekend and being a college coach is, is not productive or helpful for either. You're not giving your best to either. So I uh, gave it all up for college coaching. And uh, what's happened recently is now I've been asked to um, basically go back into youth soccer coaching and um uh i've really been feeling yearning honestly to get back into more of what i feel is a classroom setting you know my favorite thing is just to teach i don't care if it's on the on the field or in the classroom i just love teaching and love interacting with young people and feel really fortunate to to get to do that and have gotten to coach with so many amazing people and and who have made me better like aaron for example and our time together was so special so uh, I, I see this as a really great opportunity. I, um, this past winter, I got asked to, to work with a, a high school boys team. And everyone was like, oh, you know, you don't want to be a high school coach. Oh, the parents. Oh, the soccer. And I didn't listen to that. And I did it. And it was one of the most enjoyable uh, coaching experiences of my life. It was amazing. And the togetherness and the, um, just being back in what felt like really a classroom. And, and so now I'm doing curriculum development. Uh, I'm um, uh, academy coach for San Ramon Soccer Club. And with what's been going on right now, I've been um, really feel honored to be put in charge with the curriculum development and carrying out um, the uh, distance learning. I hate that term, but distance learning while we're all apart. And um, I sort of feel, I have to be, be honest, Jason, I sort of feel like I, I was, everything I've done before has put me in this position and it's the perfect place for me to be today. You know, my education background has helped me so much in developing this uh, for so, you know, 800 boys and girls. Um, and how are we going to do that and work with the staff and organize that and curriculum delivery, you name it. And I just sort of feel like it's put everything that I've done together and um, and I'm here for a reason. So I feel really fortunate to um, to have been asked to to be in this position right now. And 
uh, I'll do the best I can at, at what we're doing. It's, um, there's an incredible excitement, as I'm sure Aaron has said many times, of the college season. You know, it's, you get into it so fast, too fast. And then suddenly you're coaching and the excitement of those games that come down, down to a moment here or there. And will we make the NCAAs? And will we beat this rival? And I think there is an excitement that goes with that that is unparalleled in my coaching career. At the same time, the hardest thing about being a college coach is you have so little time with the players, you know, um, with the NCAA rules, with the school, you know, obviously with, with um, you know, the, the breaks in school, the summer where you can't have anything mandatory, you can't be with them. In the spring, we do so little. And the difference with not for better or for worse, it's just different with being on the field every day with kids in the youth system is you're teaching every day. And the number one complaint of college coaches is, man, I love this, but we don't get to teach enough. We're, we're not out there enough with them. There's too much administrative BS. And I loved it, but right now in my life, this is the right thing for me. I think that's a, uh, <clears throat> an absolutely awesome backstory, John, in that, um, you know, like you said, it, it's kind of all these things kind of converging together. Um, you know, like you said, and it, it, it's brought you to where you are. There was a, there was a question that came up on, uh, you know, soccer Twitter, uh, within the last few days that I thought was pretty interesting. And I didn't really chime in, um, just because just doing stuff with the kids here and, and whatever. And I just didn't, didn't really think about it as much as I probably should, but it, it was paraphrasing here. But the question was about, um, a coach and a teacher is a coach, a teacher is a teacher, a coach. And are they one in the same? And um, I'm curious, you know, knowing that your background has covered a lot of different areas, um, you know, formal education training and uh, working at the, the collegiate level and working with young players at the academy level, um, you know, what makes a, a good teacher? What makes a good coach? Well, um, it's to me, it's the same thing. You can call it whatever you want. I don't care. Yeah, I mean, we can get into that. You know, I think we call it different things because of what is your classroom, right? If you're on the, a court or field, then we call you a coach. It's the same thing. You're an educator. And if we just say that term, and, and we all hope at least to be educators where we are doing a lot more than just the education of the sport that brings us together or the subject that brings us together. If you are, you know, I, I think back to high school and I had a math teacher who was amazing. I mean, it's senior year calculus. Like how exciting should this really be? And it is, I'll never forget it. It was the most exciting time walking into his classroom. Now, come on, that wasn't about the content. That was about the delivery. That was about who the teacher is. And so I think the first quality is to really be able to meet players where they are. And I think that it's something that I've had to work very hard on and that there are times that I've miserably failed at it. You know, I think that sometimes we can get really caught up in, I have to win at this moment. And the truth is, especially if you're a college coach, you're being told win or else, right? Sure. Um, and you're trying to balance winning with making everybody happy. And um, I think it's, it's very, very difficult. And I think that, what I've learned so much is be there for the players, meet them where they are, give them more input than sometimes feels comfortable 
you know, someone has to steer the ship, but it's their ship. And I think that the times that you get dictatorial and the times that you become a leader by demand rather than by unity, uh, I think that wherever classroom you're in, you, you find a lot of failure. And so I think the first, you have to be a great curriculum builder. Okay, that's absolutely first. If, if you can't teach the content, it doesn't really matter who you are. And I think sometimes we let people off the hook and, oh, he's so nice. She's so nice. They're so this or that, whatever adjective. Yeah, but how much better is your student of the game of the classroom getting? In the end, we have to be judged by that. We really do. And so I think curriculum build, building is incredibly important as a quality. And I think I'm a big believer in what they call backwards building. So, for example, um, what's your final exam? If you're taking a class, if you're on the field, what's the final exam? Well, for some teams, the final exam is, um, making the, is the conference championship game because for RPI reasons, you, that's the only way you can make the NCAs. For other people, for other teams, you know, they hope the NCAA championship game is. Whatever it is, um, you have to backwards build from there. That's your goal. Now, how do you get there every single day? And rather than saying, this is what we're going to be the first day of preseason, it's this is where we're going to be on November or whatever. And how do we get there? And you work backwards. So I think that kind of curriculum building is first. I think second, as I said, is being empathetic and understanding of who you're with every day and being a part of their lives and creating a very, very difficult balance between group and individual dynamics. I mean, I think the hardest thing as a head coach is also coaching each individual. You know, mm -hmm. you spend all that time organizing a session and working on a session and there are however many you have out there and it's different for every team. And at the end, how many individuals have you really affected? Well, I mean, you hope you find a way to, to get to all of them, but let's be honest in a team session, it's very difficult, which is where delegating and which I think is very important also as a quality delegating to other people asking for their help asking them to check in is so important so I think curriculum building I think meaning you know not only building but your actual study of your subject and knowing knowing that you are excellent at your subject second your empathy and your ability to meet people where they are and third is how do you move forward together how do you handle those ups and downs? Because I think as coaches, as teachers, whoever, wherever we are, whatever our classroom is, I think we have a tendency to get all of us overly into that feeling of winning and losing. I mean, it's impossible not to. Our jobs depend on it at the college level, right? And I used to say, honestly, I used to say to my wife sometimes after the games, man, I, I'll tell you, I'll never need drugs because the high and lows of winning and losing, I mean, oh my gosh, right? Sure. But yeah. our players, but our players are hurting and the ones that are deeply invested are hurting and our job is to find a way to keep them going and moving forward. And that's hard. It's hard to be steady. And I think that I think especially as I've gotten older and the things that I've learned through failure more than anything, I, I think that that's a really important thing. You know, you said, you said, sorry, Jason, but it was okay. funny because you meant you got to drive the ship. You got to drive the ship, but you got to have, 
the players have to have that voice. And, and I, and I've often said, and I've kind of developed this metaphor over the last couple of years is that, that I'm the bumper on the bowling alley because right. the players are the bowlers. The players are the ones rolling the ball down the middle of the lane. But when that ball starts to go towards the gutter, I pop up, bump them back into the middle and there the ball goes back down. So I'm facilitating their success, hopefully of their bowling and that's what they're controlling. So they're controlling this program, but I have to put them and, and, and shield or shepherd them is a good word in the right way. And so I thought that was really awesome that you mentioned that, you know, that ownership of the group. Um, I, I love that analogy. I will 100% <laughs> start using yeah, that. Do. There's no, I mean, I, I think that's perfect. And I like that one more than mine because it's very visual, isn't it? Yeah. It's extremely visual. And I think that, um, being that bumper sometimes, it doesn't mean everyone's going to like that you pop up there. Yeah. Right. Yeah, absolutely. But explaining your role, I think, as you said, is so important. Yeah. I mean, and that's just, that's the evolution of coaching from 50 years ago or whatever is, is from being that, that, um, hierarchical leader to that more network leader and that servant leader or whatever. Um, one of the other things that, and obviously, for those that don't know, I mean, I, I've, I've had the pleasure and the privilege to coach in the same staff as John. And it was a awesome four years of my life as a human and as a professional, as a soccer coach. And um, one of the things that, that we talk about is ownership of the process for the players. But I think as a leader, there's also that ownership of the process with your people that you work with. And, and I think, talk a little bit about that. Cause I think you do, a, you do, and you did in my experience, a wonderful job with that as well. And I would imagine that you have even evolved even more in the however many seven years since we worked together as well. So I think that, you know, one of my feelings when I was younger was I'm, I'm a bull. I'm going to put my head down and just fight through every wall and, Hey, follow me if you want right but i'm gonna get this done and it was um instead of facilitating the great word that you used it was bulldozing you know and i think that one of the things that i learned was the stronger the personalities the stronger the cohesiveness of my staff the better it was you know one of my things i always said is you know, behind closed doors, man, let's get after it. I, you know, we walk out of this room united, but behind closed doors, I don't want somebody to just say yes. And, you know, I remember, you know, Jason, I, Aaron, and I can tell you many a time we were behind closed doors and, you know, what should we do? And we were diametrically opposed with the same care for the players and ideas. We both wanted to get the same place, but we're starting on the opposite side. And I mean, I can remember as a staff, us spending hour after hour on the whiteboard coming up with ideas and who's going to do this in training and who's going to do that. And, you know, I, I think that need to do it together. Um, sometimes some people don't like that because it takes time, right? I mean, Aaron, you and I know the amount of hours we spend on practice planning and on doing things, it takes time. But I think that um, what you learn more and more and I think I learned from people like working with Aaron was you have wonderful people with me you got to let them go 
you just got to let them go do their thing. And, you know, Aaron would come to me and say, Hey, I think we should do X, Y, and Z. And I'm like, okay, let's go, you know, let's see. And we'll reevaluate. And I think that um, when I have been least successful, I have been very restrictive of the people I work with. And when I have been most successful, I have uh, been, uh, look, not only is this all us working together, this is you telling me what we need to do um, rather than me telling you what we're going to do. And, and I think that that makes a huge difference. And I can say that that's made a huge difference in, in what I'm doing right now. You know, I wanted to do a whole bunch. And our executive director, Dan Chamberlain, who's amazing, said to me, John, you're trying to do too much, man. You're going to burn out. You're in charge of this thing. Start telling people what you want them to do, and they're going to get it done. And it was the perfect moment for somebody to say, dude, quit putting your head down and just doing everything. Like, and let me tell you, the, the, the work that has come back to me to organize from people I work with right now is 10, is 100 times better than the, than the content I could have put together. It, it mean, just blows away anything I could have done. And now they're doing their strengths and I'm putting my strengths to put it all together and deliver. And I just think, you know, having people you trust deeply um, and letting them uh, tell you what you're doing wrong and working together is just critical. John, there were uh, a couple words that you used early on, you know, empathy and, um, you know, listening and, um, uh, being attentive to, uh, you know, some of the, the, the players. So, um, you know, um, working in a college environment, um, like you and Aaron have that, um, yeah. you know, the, the, the touch points that you have with players is incredible. And I, I told someone this earlier today, that's why I love the college game because it's the interaction, the day to day, the, the grind, you know, the quote unquote grind. But also know that there's a lot of youth soccer coaches from all over the world that uh, that listen to this. And being in an academy setting or working with a, a foundation phase of players, that I guess what would be advice you would give in terms of how do you build that connection? Because it's easy, I think, um, just because of the repetitions we all get as college coaches right? You're in, you see players, you're bumping into them, you know, in the cafeteria, walking across campus. I mean, you see them a lot. And that's just a, a law of, you know, being in the same place at the same time. Right. But when you see an academy player twice a week, maybe three times a week, um, you know, how do you, how do you build that trust with them? How do you build that, um, you know, that empathy and care that um, I think all of, all three of us really buy into, you know, as, uh, as coaches? Um, yeah, it's very different than college. There's no doubt about it. I, I think a few things. First of all, be willing to give up training time to let them be kids. Okay. Mm. So let them be kids. Have times where the first 20 minutes of training is uh, absolutely dorking around and letting them tell stories about their day. It, it, what you gain on the back end of that is such better training. Um, have once a month. I will set up a day where everybody is just playing and I put down the pennies and I call over a player at a time and have a check-in. So I'm sitting on the side of the field and I call someone and they call the next person. Hey, what's going on? How you doing? 
doing what's up and open-ended and some kids love that because then they tell you about soccer and everything else in their lives and other kids go well, what do you mean and then well now you got to meet them where they are and say well tell me how soccer is going you know hey you know how's school so I, I think doing that and my mine is once a month so what are you doing in practice you're still playing so that kid misses five or ten minutes of that practice I mean come on so I think those things are important. And then I think it's, it's finding things to do, you know, before and after games. If we're going a distance for a game, uh, you know, one of the things we had a game two hours away in the fall and we all went and ate lunch together beforehand. And if you engage the parents, I think the problem a lot of youth soccer coaches have is they don't want parents involved. And I feel exactly the, the opposite. Look, we know our time and place. Don't come talk to me right before the game. Don't come, you know, talk to me right after about soccer. And by the way, when your kid gets to the field, hug, kiss, and send them away. It's not time for you to be hanging out. So we, we reach those parameters. It's very fair. Um, we talk about it. But then engage with them because then they want to do all these things together. Um, I'll give you another example of, boy, how, you know, we always have these things. How did we not think of this, right? Sure. So one of my friends said, oh, yeah, what we're doing on our team meeting each week on Zoom is we're having dinner together. And I go, wait a second. I have a six o'clock Thursday meeting with a team all the time. And they're usually, you know, grabbing snacks and all that. I'm like, why don't we make it a dinner meeting? Like, let's sure we're talking about soccer and I've given them tactical homework and things like that. But really, it's mostly about checking in. Right. Mm -hmm. Let's eat dinner together. What a, because just by saying that, we feel more togetherness. I was like, how did I not think of that? That's brilliant. So I think finding those moments is really, really important. But I think the most important thing is really being open and caring with, with the parents also. Because the number of times I will get a text from a parent, listen, I just want you to know blank happened. I just want you to know blank is going on with this player. And it gives you an insight that you don't get in college where you're with them every day. If I find out that, you know, we had a, a kid who almost didn't come to a game because her dog that she grew up with died the night before. The parent, because we have a relationship, trusted me to tell me and said, I wouldn't bring it up in case she mentions it, but I just want you to know in case she seems off. I mean, that the yeah. value in that moment is amazing. And I think when we dismiss that part of the relationship with kids, we miss out. I love what you said about just letting them be kids. Um, because I feel like there's a, a rush for kids today to grow up, right? Or, you know, quote unquote, professionalize the environment, right? right. And um right. I think the, you know, again, it goes back to what you said, meeting them where they are, you know, mm -hmm. to not expect an eight or nine year old to act like a, a 16 or 17 year old, um, right. you know, in what those audiences need. So th this is where I, I appreciate your background, John, because <clears throat> our backgrounds are incredibly similar with marketing and education and, and those sort of things. It goes back to the marketing background for me of really understanding who are you talking to? You know, what do they need? What do they want? Um, there is no one size fits all. And there is no cookie cutter that is going to work for a U8 group versus a U17 group or a college group or whatever. Um, you know, and, and there's things, you know, general themes, I would call them that, 
you know, connect with all players. Um, it doesn't really matter age. But in reality, what they need um, can be incredibly different. And uh, I love what you said. Like I said, just let them be kids and, um, you know, let them play <laughs> at times too. Uh, let them have that yeah. moment where they can express yeah. themselves. Well, and, you know, you mentioned marketing, right? So in marketing, POP, your point of purchase display, right? What is your point of purchase display? How do you use that kind of branding and that stuff with kids? So I had just figured out something with the team when this all started. So I agreed this spring in the club, they needed a coach to coach the 12 boys. That's kids born in 2012. Mm -hmm. It's been a long time since I've done that. I thought, Okay, well, let's go, right? So I asked some friends for some help. And um, the training session before we stopped, um, we hadn't played a game yet. I pulled out the board, you know, the magnets on it. You know, we all have the board with the magnets. And I pulled it out and I said, guys, listen, we've talked about this is all about skills. This isn't about winning and losing, but I know you guys keep score. So let's just talk a little bit about the shape we want, but more, where are you going to go? So basic stuff like the ball's on this side. What are you going to do on the other side? And I thought I'd get nothing back. I was absolutely stunned, stunned. They were moving magnets. Well, if the ball's on this side, you have to drop back on the weak side towards the goal bubble. And I'm like, what? Like these kids, and I'm like, where did you learn this? Oh, we've just been playing. They've never been told this. They just get it. And so what I started doing before each drill that day that I had set up already was bringing them over and showing it to them on the board. And then they would ask a question, well, what if this? Well, then what if this? And suddenly I had the most focused seven and eight-year-old kids all into it. By the time then I put them on the field, I didn't have to say a word. And suddenly I realized this is who they are. They want to see it. They want to play with it, right? The kinesthetic learning. And then they're ready to go do it. Why haven't I done this for the last three weeks? I'm an idiot. Like, it's, this is it. This is their moment. And I mentioned that to a friend who said, you know, you might get another group of boys or girls at that age who are totally different and might not like that. But I found my marketing. Here it is. Here's the board. Yeah. Before we do everything, we spend two minutes in front of the board and they go from there. What a crazy idea I had never thought about. So yeah, I mean, it's, it's all those ways to, to make them be excited, right? I didn't think it was anything. Mm -hmm. Accidental brilliance, as I like to say. (laughs) I I love that. I I continue to use it to this day. And that is you. So I've got that from you and you can take my, um, my bowling alley analogy. (laughs) Yeah. It's like when you say to a kid who crosses the ball and it goes into the goal, did you mean to shoot? They, yeah, yeah. of course I did. Uh, John, I'm just going to talk about the board. Well, I was going to say that that's a great band name, by the way, accidental brilliant. (laughs) They're opening up for uh, social distancing. So that's like, that's Dan Blank's, uh, Dan Blank's Facebook post where he put uh, household chore bands or whatever. (laughs) The the funny things we have on social media right now to entertain ourselves, right? Oh my God. Sure. Sure. I know. You had said you talked about your, your board before training session with the, with the young ones. I mean, I, I have, and I know people do this and I know this is, is not rocket science, but I mean, I've started over the last few years, 
putting our train because we don't our locker room is not near our field we have to walk five minutes so it, mm -hmm. it, if it was right there then we could go into the locker room before session and talk about the session and go over it because um, I would love to be able to do that even with the college age people players but we we post every session for the, they're in the locker room 30 minutes before and we post the whole session in there and, and you know do they look at it do they not look at it do they really ingest it I don't know, but it makes them feel like we care that they know part right. of that this process is going on and this is the topic for the day. And even if they don't even look at the sessions and they just look at the topic and they think, okay, now I can prepare myself for this or that. And I think that's, I think that's awesome. And it's a really great idea <clears throat> with the little ones to just have that board out there because again, you, you said it, that their processing of learning is so different yeah. Uh, than even maybe some older ones and it helps them they, I, I was that. I'll tell you what you just have to be ready again if you do something like that you got to let them go because they grab the magnets and you know they move it my 06 team man I pull out that board and they are like focused scholars they're so into it but they're not gonna they might ask a question but they just want the info you know it's funny what you just said Aaron about putting that up and I'm sure your team has reacted really positively to it you know we used to coach where it was I'm the coach, you're going to do what I say, and how you react to this tells me something about you, right? How do you react to this? And yes, there is something to be said for making players uncomfortable and, and not making it easy, but I think there are enough moments in athletics that do that, that we can come back and talk about and use for learning. I absolutely agree with you that, that the better way to do it is to say, hey, here's what we're doing today. The same way we want players to go in with a game plan before every game. Well, we would never just say react to what happens because we want them to be as successful as possible, right? So why don't we do that every day in training? And, and I think that I will tell you that is a, um, something that is a huge change in my coaching. And uh, if I were back in college or if I go back into college, absolutely critical that it has to be there for them. Yeah, I'm glad I mean, you're doing that. Well, I, you know, and you also talk about meet the, the young, the young people, the players where they are. I mean, and that, that's so important at, at any time in, in life, I'm sure it was important, but even more so than now, because we all deal with players that come from different points of view and different backgrounds. And we don't even know, why they play and we have to and they all come and play for different reasons especially when they're in college do they play because they're in a scholarship or do they play because their parents want them to play do they play because that is the only way they can go to college whatever it might be and so we have to find that individual connection that individual motivation and I'm sure and even with the even with the kids I mean are their parents making them do it? Oh, you got to do some type of extracurricular activity. Well, I choose soccer. Well, does that mean I'm really going to be invested in soccer? So you see a kid in training that's not fully invested. Well, it's not because they don't want to be there or not because it's just because it's part of their daily routine or whatever it is. And I think that's, I think that's amazing that we are starting and in, in we're integrating that so much into our leadership because it, again, it's coaching, but it's teaching and it's leadership and all those things are yeah. so so vital. Agreed. Agreed. John, do you think that, um, you know, the, the coaches that we all had as, as young players, and doesn't really even matter the sport at this point, that 
you know, early on in our coaching, coaching careers, we've learned, uh, you know, from what we saw from them. So we're basically replicating the behavior that we saw. And so back to the, you know, kind of top-down leadership or authoritarian leadership or, you know, however you want to categorize it, that, um, you know, had some really awful coaches <laughs> looking back on it that um, would verbally, you know, uh, today parents, I think, would hit the pause button because of some of the things verbally that were said, you know, going, yeah. oh, oh my God, yeah. going, how did they even get away with that? Right. Um, and obviously yeah. culturally in a very different place than where we are now. Um, however, I think it's taken for me because so, you know, I found myself early on in my coaching career kind of replicating some of those habits going, wait a second, this isn't productive for anybody. Um, myself, this isn't productive for my players. So the, the growth happened when self-reflection and hitting the pause button, talking to different coaches, observing a wide variety of environments, um, you know, whatever it may be, coaches that I admire, obviously getting to know Aaron and, and in part of his style and kind of what he's meant to me as a, as a young coach. But I, I just wonder if that impact of the, you know, that early environment it's almost like we don't know better, you know, know any better to do something different. Um, and maybe, I guess my question would be, you know, what advice would you give to a young coach who might be listening to this going, God, don't replicate some of those horrible coaches and things that you saw or, um, you know, had to, for God forbid, experience, uh, you know, as a young player at the time. I think the first thing is don't let anything get in the way of having fun. And, and I mean that not for the kids. I mean that for a coach. Um, everyone feeds off your energy, right? As a coach, everyone will. And if you are um, detail-oriented and a taskmaster, but not having fun, that's how everybody's going to feel. They're going to see everything as a task. If you go out and you have a great time, but you haven't studied your content and how to deliver it, then you're going to be the fun guy, but eventually you'll get found out and people will want to move on. The, well, the players that want to be better will want to move on to another coach. So I think combining as a young person, have fun, but also um, show that you are studying, that you care about knowledge, that you're putting in the extra. I think that's incredibly important. And uh, I'm a big believer that uh, clubs should be involved in helping coaches to get their licensing, to have experiences. Do I think licensing is important? Um, I mean, I could get on a soapbox. Yeah, I think it's important, but I don't think it's nearly enough. You know, go get, listen, Aaron and I can tell you as, as old people, um, we couldn't get on TV and get on the internet and learn all these things and watch all these things when we were young. There is no excuse now for missing out on all the opportunities to watch others coach, to watch others play, to learn from it, to study it. If you want to be great at something, it's all there in front of you. Um, so I think have that work ethic so you feel confident and then have a great time. It's not supposed to be miserable. That doesn't mean every day is the most fun you've ever had, mm -hmm. but you're supposed to love that. The same thing we tell our players. Yeah. I, I told someone recently that, um, you know, guys, we're playing the best game in the world. Um, and we should, uh, you know, anytime we lose sight of that, 
we always need to come back to that as coaches and, and, and as players. Um, you know, there is, I haven't found a game and having played a, a number of sports, I haven't found a game that consistently challenges me to up what I do that, um, you know, gives me challenges on a daily basis, um, gives me adversity. How do I figure those things out? How do I work through those things? You experience it for, you know, in a college environment for 90 minutes and just the, you know, the, the constant and the changing and the evolving and it's this and it's that. I mean, it's, it's amazing. It is absolutely amazing. And, you know, I, I tell people that listen to this regularly. I mean, that is the, the football romantic in me talking. Um, because, you know, that's what drew me in, you know, um, and uh, yeah, so anyway. And I think a lot of us have those stories, right? I mean, you know, I was so fortunate to grow up in Chapel Hill and watch the UNC women. Yeah. Um, I, I mean, there, there is no better study than being in the 80s and the 90s and watching these players and watching this incredible intensity while at the same time such a beautiful game right mm -hmm. I think we all can go back and say what did we watch that made us feel like this is right um, and I think we have to draw on that and we have to work on that and we have to ask those people tell me how you did it mm -hmm. Aaron bring you back old in. people love helping right Aaron yes you old people love helping young people it's just true <laughs> us old people with all this gray it's true so here, here here's where you can help some people then old man um I don't I, I don't this don't. is going to be kind of a complicated question okay but it, it's born out of of knowing as a as a technical tactical coach, what you're so good at, you are an extremely good teacher of the game itself. And so you have a way of breaking complex ideas and topics to a very simple deliverable manner. Um, that, that's how I see it. Having worked with you. Thank you. What, what is, what is the most, impactful message or delivery that you try to get out of each topic because I know I don't you can kind of answer that however you want do you kind of get what I'm asking there because I think you do such a, a tremendous job of making something complex seem very attainable for every player so um yeah, there are a lot of different ways to answer that. I think that, that, and, and I'm going to give a, a huge caveat here. There are a lot of coaches I've worked with that have made me realize tactically how little I know. And every time I watch a new coach, any coach, I realize how many things I still have to learn. And this will go back on my don't only watch the people who are supposedly ahead of you, the head coach, if you're the assistant, if you're the head coach, watch the assistant, watch the UA coach, watch everybody. Um, because every time you do that, I think you learn 
simpler ways and words that work. I mean, you just gave me an analogy that I'm like, holy crap, it's so much better than mine. And so I think that's part of it. I also think a lot of it is the amount you're willing to play in ahead of time. And, and I really mean this. And so when you are preparing to teach, which should be what you're preparing to do every day before you go out to practice, there are a hundred coaching points you could make for each drill, for each moment. You could stop it and talk about every touch. So ask yourself, what are the three, whatever, two, sometimes it's one. Can you get it down to one most important thing that I need my team to be able to do in this moment? And it may be different. So let's say you're playing 8v6 to goal with counterattack goals or something, and you're working on um, your attack and combination play, right? And you just want there to be more movement off the ball. Simple thing. Every time you pass the ball, you have to move. If you say that, and then that's all you call out, you'll be amazed by the amount of movement. Now, then you have to talk to people about where to move, but it doesn't matter if you don't just first have the movement. So what comes first? We just want everybody to move after they play. Then you start talking about where to go. And I think that we can all get caught in the weeds of a hundred coaching points we want to get out. I think every one of us looks back at moments where we, you know, we call it over coaching, but you know, I don't know what we should call it. What are the couple things that are most important? But I'll tell you when that doesn't happen. If you show up to the field, you're tired, you get your stuff out of your car, you set up your field and the kids are already there and you haven't spent time on it, you can't do that. It's impossible. I'm sorry, you just can't. You have to spend time preparing and working on it. Um, and I think sometimes, and, and this is a line that I heard last week that I think will really click with coaches. I think a lot of times we let the goal of perfection ruin being good. You know, we want everything to be so perfect. If I don't get this point across, we failed today. Well, how about just being good? How about just saying, this is what I want to get out of training and we, we were good today. Now we all have days where we're brilliant, right? But don't let perfect get in the way of being good. To me, when you want to be perfect, you overdo it. You overcoach. Um, now, what we'll, I will say along with that is there's no such thing as overpreparing. If you overprepare, that's good. If you overperform, I think that's bad. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, that's good. I, I think, <clears throat> I think what you said about finding that specific point or that specific topic and building from very general to specific movement, yeah. just move. Okay. Now they've got that where to go. And then that takes that and makes it more understandable for the players because the first thing that they have to think about is I just got to move. doesn't matter where I'm going. I can be corrected after that. And I think that's, that's really good. Plus if just moving is correct, you're praising people without getting into the weeds of this and that. And, you know, I think we all in our lives and in lives with our families, with kids, we coach get into times where we, um, 
we just need to know that the, our effort is what matters, right? Mm -hmm. And I think anytime you can start a training session where just the effort is what you're looking for, I think it's easy to coach them. Mm -hmm. I think if you are coaching in the weeds of tiny details and then you're going to get on them about effort, that's hard to pull out a lot of times. So look, everybody's different on this. You know, Tom Turner, who was the head of um, Ohio North for so long. I, I, you know, we talk about people that influenced us, right, Jason? Yeah. I just, I, I just thought of him. Um, unbelievable coach. And he brought me in to work with Ohio North when I was, you know, a club coach in Columbus and then with regional staff with ODP. And he was a big believer in whole part whole. So let's get them out there playing, yep. then let's do some drills, then let's get playing again. And, and then he said to me, oh, John, when you go do your coaching courses, don't do this, you'll flunk. Make sure you do all the parts building up, and then he goes, you know, don't blame me if you flunk. But here was a mentor who was all about, let's get going, let's be, you know, let's get them just the idea of what we want, and then let's get into the details after they're moving and they get playing. And it's been 30 years since he did that with me. And I'm not sure there's anything a mentor taught me that has stuck with me more than that idea. Yeah. Just get them moving and playing. It's interesting. You mentioned Tom, uh, John, because I did uh, one of my coaching courses with Tom and he was the, uh, he was the instructor. And at the time, um, you know, when you were, <clears throat> you were going through it, um, you know, may have been critiqued as part of other coaching courses. And now that's yep. the model the U.S. soccer is teaching, um, you know, play, practice, play. Uh, up to I didn't even know that. Yeah. Uh, so that's, that, you know, crazy how it's come full circle. Um, yeah. Tom, Tom's brilliant. Is, way, so. Tom is, I'm going to, I'm going to say this. Tom is one of the most underknown, underrated coaches in this country. And the reason I say sure. this is because coaches of Tom Turner's level have, directed and coached youth national teams, full national teams in this country. He is that level, but he's always been more of a teacher than a coach. Yeah. And so he has always spent time in the lower level or not with the national team, just, and just affecting as many coaches as they can that then affect as many kids as, and he should be seen in, to, in my opinion, in youth soccer as one of our national heroes. He's that impactful. Well, and I would say just a, a, a pleasure to be around um, a, a guy that knows yeah. a little bit about a lot of things. Um, yes. Was, yes. Uh, you know, telling was, our, that's incredible. Um, you know, he was talking about recipes and he was talking, he was, he showed video of him playing guitar. Um, he was, he was very enjoyable to take a coaching course with. I'll, I'll say that much. Um, it did not feel like, uh, you know, like, Oh my God, what is this? You know, or whatever. I mean, he was just, it, he made it a lot of fun. Yeah. Agreed. So, so John, we like to ask guests to come on the show. Um, if you have a, a club or a team or, you know, uh, something that you support uh, is a is a lover of this game. Um, you know, Aaron's got Liverpool. I have Everton. That's the the cross I carry in life. Uh, <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> uh, so we we like to know if there's a a team or a club that you support and and why. So it's interesting that you asked that. Um, I, I love the EPL. I 
did not grow up so passionate about a team that um, that I bear that burden. I love watching the way different teams play, and then I fall in love with different teams at different times based upon the way they play. Mm-hmm. Um, so in that way, but for me, it has always been the U.S. Women's National Team. Yeah. Um, I think. Uh, I'll tell you a little story. Uh, I was fortunate enough to be, I was in college, right, maybe right after college, and I was, it must have been after I was working ants in summer camp, and I got to be a co-counselor on a team with Mia Hamm. Mm. And we're sitting outside the dining hall, and she's talking about, you know, all these leaders that are older than me or you know, getting older on the national team and I'm so young and now that, you know, now it's my time, I have to start stepping up and leading and, and how uncomfortable that is. Right. And I'm sitting here going, holy shit, the best player in the world is talking to me about being concerned about something. I mean, are you kidding me? It was the most wonderful moment to get to see Someone who I admire so much on the field is such an amazing human being, which anybody who's, you know knows these athletes, they're amazing human beings, right? All of them. And it really drew me in more and more getting to watch them play and then see who they were as human beings. Um, and I've just always felt like our women, for better or worse, but 99% of for better, have taught those of us that have spent a lot of time in the women's game, have given us a goal, have given us something to strive for, have given us players to admire as models and coaches. Um, And, you know, have Anson coaching that team and then to have Tony take over and me saying there'll never be a team like the 99ers again. And then what happened last year, And that team, finally, I think we have a team at the level, you know, that we can say, well, maybe they're the greatest team of all time now. I think they are. So, I, you know, for me, that's really been it. And um, um, I love the way Liverpool plays right now, Aaron. I mean, look, they are, to watch what they do and to watch the brilliance in coaching and in what we call man management, right? And to hear the things he's saying right now about, wait a second, this is soccer. This isn't the most important thing in the world. Let's, let's talk about the people on the front line right now. Um, that's who we should care about. I just, I, I love them for that. But over my time, it's been the U.S. Women's National Team. Can, can I add to um, UNC men's basketball? Yeah. And, and, and let me, I'll tell you a story too. Oh, yeah. this, is, this will show you how, how professional John <laughs> is as well. because. Knowing John is a massive, massive UNC men's basketball fan. And when we coached at Kentucky, we went to the UK versus UNC game in Rupp Arena in Lexington. And as professional as John is, he acted like he was going for UK. <laughs> Anthony Davis with the block at the buzzer. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> and I know how difficult that must have been as big of a fan <laughs> as John is for the UN. You know, it's funny you say that, Aaron, because I mean, obviously, I grew up in Chapel Hill, and and so how could I not love UNC basketball, right? But the reason I fell in love, we're coming back to, was the coach. 
you know, Dean Smith was the coach and he believed so deep, deeply in integration and had Charlie Scott, um, you know, an African-American on his team way before other people did, most people. Um, he talked so much about um, the importance of being a student athlete and he talked so much about social justice, which is the way I was raised. And so he was this person who was the person in that town. I mean, Dean Smith was it. And he used his basketball pulpit to talk about bettering the world and taking care of people. Um, that's why I fell in love with it, right? Um, so you go back to what are the different ways that we as coaches can affect our players. You just, and people, you just never know. Hmm. Very yeah, well I love you, NC basketball. Thank you, Aaron. <laughs> John, I was in a mean challenge with another coach today, by the way, Duke versus UNC on Twitter. <laughs> yeah. Ripping on him. Cause he was talking about Duke. Oh, Jeez, <laughs> Uh, John, if, uh, if people want to connect with you and uh, follow along in your journey, how can they find you? Um, Twitter, I'm uh, just John Lipsitz. That's all J-O-N-L-I-P-S-I-T-Z. Um, you know, uh, that's probably by far the easiest way. Uh, my email is just the initial J Lipsitz at San Ramon, S-A-N-R-A-M-O-N-F-C.com. And, um, you know, I, I've been offering actually in this time, any coaches that want to talk group one-on-one, -on -one, any uh, players, I've had some people contact me about developmental plans and about college plans and things like that. Um, you know, of course, I'm not charging anything. This is, this is just us all being together. Uh, and I hope to continue to do um, weekly or every other week webinars that we can all participate in also. So those are all the different ways. And um, I think this is just a wonderful time for us to all be together and talk about where we are and what we're doing together. Uh, and, you know, it's so nice of you guys to have me on here and just to share stories and ideas and, um, and have some good feelings in a hard time. I can't thank you enough, John, for, uh, for coming on and, um, just for being a, such a, a strong advocate for our game in the love of teaching and inspiring and wanting to bring the best out of young people. Um, you know, that's inspiring as hell to me as a coach. And, um, you know, especially now during a, a tough time where we're all, you know, I, I went back last night and was watching the 2011 Champions League final because I was bored <laughs> and yeah, I found it on YouTube. What a joy. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and it was free to watch and I'm like, okay, yes, play. Uh, you know, so yeah, we're all feeling it. I mean, I was out in the backyard with my son, with my nine-year-old today and um, just kicking the ball around and it was a nice day here and, oh man, I miss it. You know, I miss it. Um, you know, but yes, thank you for, for just, influencing people in a very positive way. And, um, you know, it, it just shows the, the small world. I mean, the Tom Turner reference and Aaron and all of us, I mean, we're all sort of, you know, we're all in this together. And uh, yeah, I, lo I love that about the, the game of football, man. It's uh, it's a beautiful thing. It is beautiful. Thank you.
Aaron, that was a fantastic chat with John and so many great takeaways. And I hope um, you guys listening to this had a chance to, to pull out, uh, you know, pen and paper and write down some of the things that John said. And, and especially if you're working in the youth game, you know, with players really, I would say U12 and under, let them be kids, you know, let them play, let them experience the joy that this game will play um, or give them. Um, and, you know, something else that John said, Aaron, that uh, don't let the goal of perfection ruin being good. I thought that was absolutely brilliant, um, you know, in terms of a, a takeaway, because, um, you know, sometimes being good, you know, we're, we're so consumed, are we doing it right? Or does it have to look perfect? Or does it have to be the absolute perfect picture well, not always, right? It's okay for it to be good, you know? Yeah, I mean, to 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 listen, to have the opportunity to speak with and, and, and listen to somebody that's been immersed in the game for so long and has so much experience at, at so many different levels and been successful at, at all those levels um, has been such a pleasure. And, you know, when you, you talk about um, enjoying the process of coaching, in letting the kids enjoy it, but also make sure you have that structure. I think that's such a good takeaway for any coach at the youth all the way up to the professional level through college, whatever. We've got to allow the players to find the joy in it. That's kind of how I, how I interpret what he said. Enjoy the process as a coach, but have that structure there so that they know when it's time to work, when it's time to enjoy that part of the session, but overall enjoy the whole process. And I thought that was, that was really important to, to take away. Yeah. Uh, I, I love too what he said about facilitating versus bulldozing. <laughs> yeah. You know, because let's face it, there, there is a time for both. Um, but I think an incredibly aware coach knows when to facilitate I would say probably the majority of it is facilitating. Um, but there's also a time to bulldoze, right? Um, not all the time. And I would say that's the, uh, you know, the thing that you always want to keep in your back pocket. So if they're looking for that as a player, then quite truthfully, they should probably go to a military academy, <laughs> you know? Yeah. Um, yeah. And, I, and that's not, you know, in any way disrespectful to military academies or drill sergeant or whatever. But we're in the business of human relationships as coaches. So how do we develop those? And for us, you know, I don't think we're looking for these, um, you know, the coaching positions that we're in to be, um, you know, temporary or, or short-term sort of things, right? This is our life. This is our livelihood. So we're looking for sustainability and long-term, you know, a longevity of, uh, of making that a, a possibility. So uh, I love that facilitating versus bulldozing. So put that one in your back pocket. Yeah, I definitely, I mean, I think that is such a good takeaway and it takes experience. I mean, it, to it really takes experience to know how much facilitating can we do? How much ownership do we give? And when are those moments that you have to be a little more bulldozerish? Um, you know, hopefully it's, it's a lot fewer than the facilitating part, but it comes from experience. It comes from understanding 
um, what you've been through in, in the past and how you can learn from it. And I, and I think that, uh, I think John has, has done a lot of evolving as a coach and, and that's what great leaders do is, is they, they look back and they evaluate and take the good things and replace the things that could get better with things that are better. Well, and when we uh, when we all start our band, um, we're all looking for jobs someday. <laughs> <laughs> we're going to call ourselves Accidental Bro. Uh, That's right. <laughs> I Rogers love that term. For accidental brilliance. <laughs> <laughs> I just pluck strings, but somehow it makes a tongue. <laughs> oh, <my. clears throat> so, uh, John, if you're listening to this, if someone were to play John in a movie and has never seen a picture of John, Jack Black is his doppelganger. Um, <laughs> oh, <no>. <laughs> <laughs> and that's a compliment uh, because I, I, oh my God, when he popped up on the screen, I'm like, that's Jack Black. And I had the pleasure, just a quick story before we wrap up. Uh, I had the pleasure as an intern actually getting to meet Jack Black uh, when he was performing with his band Tenacious D. And, um, he came up to me <laughs> and was like, Hey, I'm Jack. I was like, yeah, if there's someone to play John in a movie, you know, it was when we started our band, we'll have Jack Black jump in and <laughs> play. So Aaron, if, uh, if people want to connect with you on social media, how can they do that? At Ohio soccer coach, Twitter and Instagram. And uh, knowing that I love all the 7,000 challenges going around as much as Aaron, <laughs> um, you can find me at Soccer Coach JB. That's sarcasm, by the way, uh, on Twitter and Instagram. And uh, yeah, uh, always enjoy uh, new connections and just growing uh, our listenership and, and followership. And hopefully we're, we're adding some value to your lives in this very... Um, you know, uncertain time uh, for all of us as a world and society. And uh, please know that we're struggling with it as well. Uh, just like everybody else, um, we're trying to manage, uh, you know, what this has meant for all of us and day-to-day -day routines and relationships uh, with players and training programs and, and all those different things. Um, you know, uh, legitimately feel that. Uh, and we know that you guys are are feeling some of that uh, stress and pain too, but also know the, the, the love and the admiration that we have for all the people out there on the front, uh, front lines uh, right now. And, um, you know, the, the doctors, the nurses, the healthcare providers, first responders, um, you know, delivery drivers, grocery store workers, and everyone else that I've missed <laughs> inevitably. Um, you know, please know how much you, you mean to us uh, because, uh, Without those things right now, um, you know, the, the world would be even more upside down than, than what it is. So, This has been the latest episode of the On the Touchline podcast. I'm Jason Broadwater. I'm Aaron Rodgers. John, I quote the... Uh, the great philosopher and poet and uh, UNC alum, uh, basketball, uh, you know, uh, Hall of Famer, Rashid Wallace. <laughs>
Ball don't lie. <laughs> Seed. Oh my gosh, was he was he on some fun? Ball don't lie. <laughs> Ball don't lie. Yep. That's funny. He was quite a character, man. He was quite yeah, a character. Ball don't lie. Which, by the way, every one of us after a BSPK, if they miss or it's saved, <laughs> say it. Dang we all it. say it now, Ball don't right? Lie. Oh, yeah. I actually got a yellow card in a youth game two years ago <laughs> because bad, bad PK call, just so bad. And I didn't go crazy. I just said, sir, what, you know, and he explained, I mean, what am I going to do? It's an 06 game, right? So I just sit down and while I'm sitting, <laughs> it misses the PK and I go, ball don't lie. That's <laughs> right over it and books me. Oh, my and I'm gosh. like, okay, fair, fair. I mean, I'm just sitting here, but fair. <laughs> <laughs> love it. That's love awesome. it. Love yeah. it. Love it.